Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, a podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. I'm Alex. And I'm Addison. And we're back here just like we are every other week of the year to uh, talk to you about a movie that we recently enjoyed that was on Netflix that is of the horror variety, as you may have gathered from our uh, intro, which you know so well. We had a really good time with uh, this week's selection. We chose a seminal cult classic, Tremors. Which somehow neither of us had seen, despite the fact that it features Kevin Bacon and giant underground worms. <laughs> yeah, that would kind of seem to be like exactly our speed, but uh, neither of us had watched it. So it was a brand new experience for both of us. I really loved it. It kind of hit all of the exact points that I need from a horror movie. I think from... it's a perfect film. Yeah, I. <laughs> here's the thing about Tremors. Tremors is not a good film, but it is a great film. And I do believe there is a distinction between the two. I think a movie can be truly great without ever having to be good. No, that's absolutely correct. Like a movie does not have to be of quality in order to be an enduring, phenomenal classic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, example, Cats, the movie 2019. That is where I was going to take <laughs> no. that. And that's also illegal to say. Uh, Troll 2. You haven't seen Troll 2. Okay, Troll but 2 you're is right, a truly though. great piece of I mean, of here we go. Even just, filmmaking. you know what? I'm going to come right out and say it. I'm going to be controversial about this, but I think it's important to make the point that I want to make. Original Star Wars films. Star Wars A New Hope, not a good no, film. No, I agree. Definitely a great film. But when you watch them as an adult and try to remove the lens of nostalgia, mm-hmm. Some parts, some parts are a little, some parts are a little clunky. I love Star Wars. Uh, I don't actually, I don't love Star Wars anymore. I lied, but like, I used to love Star Wars. Well, uh, yeah, see, and that's the thing, right? Is that I think like a lot of what modern film criticism gets wrong is it leaves out the fun. Modern film criticism has forgotten fun. Modern film criticism looks at like whether or not the effects are perfectly polished, whether or not there are zero plot holes, whether or not someone is hurting themselves in the process of acting. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. like, Ugh. how many awards it can get if divided by the budget that it yielded. So, like, that is modern film criticism. And by that metric, a lot of films are not very good. But a lot of films that aren't very good still are amazing. And we need to not forget that. Tremors is one of those films. I do have to specify also, just really quick, let, let, let us not get it twisted in any which way. I... I'm a Ryan Johnson film stan, and I do love his Star Wars movie. It's the only Star Wars movie I like. <laughs> the Last Jedi does slap. It's a great movie. Um, and and you know, yeah. again, I I don't want to totally misrepresent what I'm saying here. There are movies that are both good oh, no, and no, great. There are movies that are both oh, good yeah, and great. There are movies that are good, but certainly not. Legally great. Blonde exists. <laughs> that's true and there are movies which are not good but are phenomenal enduring amazing five star 13 out of 10 would recommend please go watch it uh tremors is one of those and you should definitely take the time it's on netflix and you should give it what two hours of your time it's about an hour and 40 minutes long okay it felt it longer feels longer because it is it's jam-packed It with really action. is. There were many moments, actually, when we were watching it. We watched it together on Netflix Party, and there were several moments when, like, you typed <laughs> into the chat, you're like, there is an hour and 20 minutes of this movie left, and I was like, no way that's true. <laughs> or, like, there are 45 minutes. <laughs> like, you get to the end, or what you think is the end, and there's 25 minutes of movie left. 
um, which is always really, really fun. And it's not in the bad way. Like sometimes when you do watch a bad movie, you realize that it's only been like 10 minutes, but it feels like it's My been God. an hour. <laughs> I just mean that this particular film is jam-packed with stuff. I, there is a film which will probably never be featured on this podcast because it's on Hulu. It's not on Netflix, so it's safe. Um, by which I mean listeners and hosts alike are safe from it. But there is a movie called The Man uh-huh. Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot, starring Sam Elliott. Oh, yeah, you watched that. I did that. watch it. I did give <laughs> moments of my life to that movie. And had I known in advance what a waste of time that would have been, I probably never would have done it. I, I Okay, actually, no, I still would have because I I commit to the bit. Um and it's going to be my downfall. But in this case, it absolutely was. That movie is literally 90 minutes long. And it felt like the longest six years of my life. <laughs> oh, no. It was it was so much. But we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about a great movie, which we both loved. Tremors. Tremors. Uh, what was the year on Tremors? Starring Kevin Bacon. Um, 1990, okay. I want to say. That sounds about right. It's It's a 90s. A horror. It's nineteen ninety. Um, anyone reviewing this movie now would call it a horror movie. I don't know if it considered itself to be a horror comedy or not, but that is certainly where... When you Google it, it is listed as an American comedy okay. film. Well, that's where I would feel most comfortable placing it. Yeah, so I it's, think it it's definitely a horror comedy. Don't get me wrong. The spooks are spooky. And the um, the jumps are jumpy. And the intense moments like really do kind of still feel very effective. There are some real tense moments. There's some great practical effects in this film. And I think that's something, honestly, that yes. 90s monster movies got right, which we have not really gotten quite back to, um, is that practical effects really are still like mm-hmm. the best way to knock it out of the park when it comes to movies like this. Because you know what? If you're going to throw a giant worm underground and make that like the plot of an hour and 40 minutes of movie it needs to feel real when i see it i can't be looking for seams you know what i mean but i also don't want that like eventual reveal to distract from the people on screen and i think there's a really delicate balance there you know if you have computer animation it's either not going to come through and it's going to disappoint the eventual reveal of the movie or you're going to finally pull it out and it's going to be like so epic and million dollar, like glossy high budget that I'm going to not care anymore about the people that are on screen. And I need to care about the people that are on screen. I care very much about these people. I did too. And I know we spent the entire time in the chat, like dragging this down, but I honestly do adore them. Tremors takes place in the town of Perfection. Uh, Is it Nevada? I don't. It's a desert state. It's definitely either Nevada or Arizona. <laughs> they're in a valley. Anyway, they're, they're in, in a valley, valley in the desert. And it's called, the, the town is called Perfection. It's a desert Population state. 14, which incidentally is very not possible given the way they were depicting this town. But um, we'll, we'll let it slide because the movie is very good. And because they do show you all 14 of those people. So I think the reason they went so out of their way to say, like, this is the population of this town is so that when the inevitable happens and they basically are, like, evacuating the last few people so you wouldn't be counting and being like, what about the other 30 guys? So that's fair and I respect it. Yeah. No man left yeah, behind. that's the feeling of Tremors, which is honestly cool. It's really cool. Um, it's about a community coming together in the face of a threat and looking Which, out for honestly, each other. Which, honestly, if you know anything at all about me, you know is exactly my shit, so... And two not very smart 
but really bold men being in awe of a beautiful, smart woman in now, practical Earl clothing. Now, Earl is pretty smart, I would say. I think he's... Earl is... Clever. <laughs> he's... <laughs> I don't know that I would call Maybe him Maybe we'll smart. call him, yeah. Yeah, he's he's clever. Maybe he's even, like, intelligent, but I guess that doesn't make him smart. He's got folksy wisdom. He's, he's got a, a keen sense of insight, I think. And he has more emotional intelligence than his counterpart. That's true. Earl has a lot of emotional yeah, intelligence. and we respect that about him. Like many other things we <laughs> respect about Earl. It's always... <laughs> it's Earl 11 it's hours in the Earl chat. It's always Earl 11 hours in the chat. Um, one thing I said to Addison as we were watching this last night, and it is now what I'm going to stake the entire thesis <laughs> of the rest of my film criticism career on, actually... I, I believe that a classic, <laughs> like, nostalgia monster movie is effective if, one, it centers around a trio of main characters, and two, if that trio feels, at all points of the movie, like they are a polyamorous triad. That yeah, is the mark buddy. of a successful nostalgia monster movie to me. Like, that is what sells it. I love Rhonda and her cowboy They're boyfriends. They're so good. And, like, the dynamic between the three of them is so strong. And um, similarly, you know, really like that's cute. what sells Jurassic Park too. I'm sorry, but someone had to come out and say it. I feel like, are you? Is it a hot take that they all seem like they're sleeping together in Jurassic <laughs> Park? Is that the, is that a hot take? I thought that that was pretty. I mean, obvious. I I want to believe that everyone has gotten that, but I don't have faith necessarily in the American public to have seen the truth that I have seen, that you have seen, that every person with okay, their eyes fair. truly open has seen. But uh, I, I really do believe there's something to that, even if, you know, I'm being a little bit silly and shippy. I think that the core dynamic at the heart there has to work, right? So, like, when you're watching a monster movie and there are giant worms underground, mm -hmm. that's all well and good. And we do love the giant worms. But, again, I need to care about the people that are on screen. I need to care about that dynamic. And there's something about, like, a triad at the heart of a film like this that just works, you know? Because... I think so much of what balances a movie like this is the constant feeling of, like, shifting expectations. And so if you have two people, then you can see them both on screen at one time, and there's, like, you know when something is up. And if something is wrong, that only leaves one person to go, like, solve the problem. And so you run out of, like, mm -hmm. you run out of gimmicks pretty quickly. If you have three people, then mm -hmm. you can always remove one person and then look at the other two to solve the problem. And that gives you, like, if we're just mm -hmm. looking at the permutations of that, that gives you many different combinations to play with of, like, person being gone and that resource being removed from the dynamic and then putting two people who maybe haven't had to work together yes. on their own together to solve that problem. So, like, that's an endless fount of just sort of inspiration and Absolutely. plot planning. Like, it's great. It's a great way to do a movie. Yes, I do agree with you, though, actually, that a three-person team is kind of the best formula for this kind of movie. Yeah, definitely. Three's a crowd? No. Three's a monster fight. Oh, my God. Three's a monster Three fighting team. Three is a tricycle, team. the most stable of all wheeled vehicles. <laughs> wow, big if true. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think that, you know, so much of it is on interpersonal dynamics, and there's something really fun about you know, it's an old formula, it's tried but true, of the formula of having, like, a duo that knows how it operates together, and then when you interject a third into that, and they mm -hmm. have to suddenly figure out, like, what that means. And it, there is an element of, like, fun, friendly rivalry, and there's kind of, like, this uncertainty about this newcomer, and all of that is well and good. Uh, one thing I actually did really enjoy about Tremors that I expected to hate 
is that, you know, in this dynamic, obviously, you have these two cowboyish dudes. You have uh, Val, which is short for Valentine McKee, which is the dopest worm hunting name of all time. And then oh. you have um, Earl, whose last name I don't remember. But I think it was just in the credits. His name is Earl Mustache. His name is Earl Flanagan. He's my husband now. But um, <laughs> he took my last name. Because oh, damn. And he took your last name because he's an ally. Him. Anyway, so you have Earl and Val. Earl is kind of the, like... Uh, Older but wiser, like thinking ahead a little bit more measured, a little bit more laid back. Um, and then you have Val, who is young hotshot Kevin Bacon. Yeah, loose cannon cop on the edge with nothing to lose. Um, who is something more of a himbo, but he is the uh, brave and true of heart and dumb of ass and and beautiful hair. And he has this cute little Kevin Bacon nose. But um, you have those two, and then the sort of third that gets added in and, and upsets the situation is uh, Rhonda, who is a she's a grad student, Rhonda. right? She's like a seismology grad student. I love who's Rhonda. Out in the desert studying, and she's like smart and beautiful in a practical sort of like toned down way. They didn't do the thing that I hate in movies, where like a a woman is like doing a practical no, no, thing, no, no. and then they, she still has like perfect makeup on. <laughs> Like, Rhonda's very beautiful, but she looked very fresh-faced. She looked, she had, like, sunscreen on her nose. I expected nose. it to be one of those things where they were like, oh, here's the, like, salt-of-the-earth woman, but she's still super sexy, and, like, this is gonna upset the dynamic, and they're gonna compete over her, which was totally not the, the vibe at all. They were just kind of like, oh, cool, hey, you're a seismologist? There are literal worms wrecking up our shit, like, six feet under the ground. What do we do about this? Um, and it was great. Rhonda was dressed the entire time in, well, almost the entire time, in blue jeans and, like, work boots. And she had on, like, a long-sleeved top, which you would in the desert sun. And that was her outfit the entire time. They didn't, mm -hmm. like, end up, you know, ripping her shirt and showing her, like, in a camisole. There was a scene where straight up, like, her pants had to be removed. But even that was shot in, like, a weirdly desexualized way. The worm to take her pants. Well, actually, Kevin Bacon took her pants because the, like... But to save her from the to worm. To save her from the worm. She got tangled up in barbed wire, like, around barbed her leg. Wire, and so yeah. rather than try to, like, untangle the wire, they were like, we have to get your jeans off. This is the quickest way. This giant worm is coming. Um, the worms are giant. But then she got her pants back on right she after She got her that. pants back on. It was very... Like, again, it was very respectfully shot. We didn't, like, get any weird, exploitative... I was briefly very frightened that we were going to have Rhonda pantsless the rest of the movie, but that did not happen. It didn't. No, they uh, they took her back inside. They cleaned off her wounds in like a very tender moment. And then she got her pants back. Like they were folded, like washed and folded and handed to her. It was very nice, actually. Genre film gets a pretty bad rap for good reason uh, when it comes to sexualizing women in situations oh, yeah. that make absolutely no sense. And this, it was really nice to see this in a, a movie from like a couple decades like ago before, because I think a lot of, a lot of directors now are starting to figure out that we don't like it when they do that but honestly like I, I know we compared this movie a lot to Jurassic Park because in a lot of ways there are like similarities in tone and like homage um I gotta say I think Tremors did a better job with Rhonda than Jurassic Park did with Ellie Sattler damn no I agree with you but that's a very bold take no it is but like I, I think it's true like the the men that were talking to her treated her better than the men in Jurassic Park treated Ellie Sattler which is like Obviously, you know, they're fictional characters, so that's a result of the script writers, not the characters. Um, mm -hmm. I think a large part of that, though, is that, and I mean this in, as, a, as praise of Tremors, not an excuse of Jurassic Park, uh, is that the men in Tremors 
are not experts and rather and because they're good characters and we like them rather than trying to position themselves as such they defer to her expertise whereas the Jurassic Park it's like a bunch of scientists in a dick measuring contest yeah actually something that was really nice about Tremors which was kind of a fun recurring plot point is how many times like they would ask Rhonda something they'd be like Rhonda what do we do and she's like literally why are you asking me like I'm not a worm expert I'm a seismologist Exactly. She's like, this is an unprecedented situation. I get that I'm a scientist, but I don't know about the worm monsters under the ground that no one's ever seen before. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're like, cool, but what do we do, Rhonda? It's very nice. Um, I love it. I love Rhonda a lot. She's a great character. All the characters actually, except Melvin, um, are pretty excellent. So fuck Melvin. Let's let's run through the population of the town real quick. So we um, we have Val and Earl who are kind of like handymen for hire and they don't actually live in the town they like work in the town and know all the people there but it's implied that they sort of do work for mm-hmm. a couple different like towns in the vicinity and this just happens to be their and day they're planning in to leave perfection. and yes exactly they are planning to run away together uh to get away from this life <laughs> and this this small town and this journey of hardship that they're on they're gonna together they're gonna take this pickup truck and they're gonna drive it off to a better future it's really good. Can we out. talk about their little Animal Crossing camp that they oh have? Oh my god, please. <laughs> they have this little like outdoor man cave bro hang spot uh-huh. that's like chairs outside and like It's like they reclaimed junkyard furniture, in- which they set up in a little plot in the desert, and when they park their car there, it makes it like their home. <laughs> it's their hang spot. I'm really emotional. And yeah, they're going to drive off together to a better really life cute. in their pickup truck that they share. Oh, it's real It's real good. Uh, and so in this long-term relationship, something I quite like, actually, is you mentioned the uh, the like dynamic you were worried about, like, oh, two guys going to fight over the lady. Something that was quite delightful about it. Is, and Earl clearly liked and respected Rhonda and admired her very much. But he, he, he was not actively pursuing her at any point. Neither really was Val. But more so, Earl was just kind of pushing Val toward Rhonda and being like, that's a great woman. You should appreciate this great woman. Yeah, there is. And see, here's why I thought I was going to hate it. Because, like, in the beginning, uh, there's this, like, brief reference to Val has this, like, list of traits he's looking for in a woman. And he, like, wants her to be, you know, tall and busty and blonde and, and blonde. blue-eyed and legs that go all the way up. And, and Earl is pretty much like, that's completely ridiculous. Like, you're... It's unrealistic to expect that you will meet a woman who will meet all of these criteria and she will automatically be into you. Like, you're an idiot. Um, And then they meet Rhonda and Rhonda is like very practical and very smart and she is very pretty, but she's just like makeup free and, you know, wearing like very normal clothes. And so Val is like, this is dumb. You're basically not a... He's like, you're not my dream lady. Um, Which is, of course, false and wrong. She is the woman of everyone's dreams. Yes. And when they first meet her, she does have a comically large dollop of zinc oxide on it's her nose. It's very fun and silly. It's like a very fun character choice. But like from the get-go, Earl is like, hmm, this looks like a smart, respectable woman who's like very good at what she does and spunky and would be a wonderful match for my husband. So he just kind of, yeah, he's just like shipping it very hard all the time. He is, it's great. Um, it's <laughs> My favorite line that I, I can't recall a lot of the, my favorite lines off the top of my head, but one of my favorite lines that Earl has is, um, I don't remember the girl. There's like, it's like an actress or someone famous that, that, that Val is like obsessed with. That's like his ideal woman. He keeps a picture of her in his truck. I don't remember oh, yeah, what her name is, either. but when Rhonda is like, I'm one point to escape danger. Rhonda has the incredible idea that they should pull vault oh, yeah, from rock Rhonda to rock because she's a genius. A character trait of Rhonda is that she knows how to pull vault. 
Yeah, and, and Earl basically makes a reference to the woman that, that Val has the picture of in the truck, like the famous woman he's never met. And he's like, how's her pole vaulting? <laughs> it's very good. It's not in a creepy way either, where like some no. movies are like that, where it's like, you know, the the older man is constantly putting them in situations where like they should kiss and it's just like very uncomfy. Like this isn't like that. There's literally only like one moment of sexual tension and it's at the very end like right before they do actually kiss after the threat has been resolved like the entire time that they're in monster hunting mode they are literally just hunting the monsters and that's actually very awesome no it's it's very very cute they're 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 very much like task oriented and at the very end you have this moment where like the dust has settled and it's like Oh, are they gonna part ways now? And and Val is like watching her leave, and, and he's nervous. And like, he doesn't oh, want to man. talk like, to her. Yeah, and he takes the pictures out of his truck too because he doesn't want her to see them. He's like, oh, oh no, <laughs> it's cute. Uh, so anyway, so you have Earl oh, and Val, funny. and then they kiss. They do kiss. Oh, yeah. So you Earl have, and, so Val you have and Earl and Val, and you have Rhonda. You have um, Mr. Chang who runs like the general store. Yes, I love him. He's an entrepreneur. He's very good. We respect him. We stand and support Mr. Chang. Um, you have Miguel. Small business who owner. Who I, I don't know what Miguel does. Maybe he's like another store owner. It, it, once this all starts. I don't know. He must run a business. There's literally 14 people. Um, there are like several storefronts in this town. It's unclear what anyone except Mr. Chang does. But um, Miguel is also there. Well, no, that one lady does pottery. Oh, that's true. Mindy's mom does pottery. What's her name? Anyway, there's a little girl Mindy, named Mom's Mindy who um, is, like, constantly trying to beat her own pogo stick record. At the time of counting, she's, like, at 600-something. <laughs> um, she, like, puts on her little Walkman headphones and bounces on her pogo stick. So that's Mindy. Mindy has a mom <laughs> who's a potter, and I don't remember her mom's name. I don't remember her name, but she was she was blonde, and she does pottery, and she seemed very you nice. Melvin, who is the absolute worst... Who are his parents? Did we meet his parents? I thought for a like, hot minute that maybe he was Mindy's brother... But I genuinely don't know. I don't... I got the feeling that, like... I think Melvin's just, like, a free-floating <laughs> He just exists. Who lives I, in I the town. I thought maybe the implication was that, like, Mindy and Melvin had, like, a single mom. But I I literally do not know. Uh, maybe. I actually also thought that maybe he was the kid of the two... Of the couple that got killed. But I genuinely don't know I anymore. I thought that if that was the case, he probably would have taken it a lot more seriously a lot sooner. But... That's fair, know. but also Melvin's. Also, sucks. Melvin is just the absolute worst. If you hadn't gathered, Melvin's just like a shitty kid. He's just like a horrible, like horrible teen all the time. who's old enough to know better and mm -hmm. wrong enough to keep doing it anyway. He's the kid in the monster movie keeps, like, who keeps people. like pretending to cry wolf, like vis a vis giant worm attacks, but he never actually bites it, which is kind of disappointing. He does get attacked, though, and that was great. He does get attacked, and that was good. <laughs> I did want the teen- Not enough I, for I did Alex. want this terrible teen to bite it. I'm so Listen, you're allowed to be vindictive and terrible when you're watching a monster movie because you expect a certain reasonable- Amount of death. Death quantity, and I felt like Melvin should fall under that umbrella. I thought that if we were going to have to watch Mr. Chang bite it, we should have to watch Melvin bite it. We should get to watch Melvin bite it. It's true. Anyway, um, you alluded as well to another couple. There was a couple who uh, was actually, and I didn't put this together at first, the doctor of the town, the town doctor and his wife. And they were like getting ready <laughs> to finish building like this new house that they were working on constructing. And they mm. both got devoured. <laughs> um, they were really they sweet. They were really sweet. They were so in love. And then there were um, Bert and Heather. 
who are oh boy Bert and Heather are literal doomsday preppers <laughs> um, they sure living are in the middle of the desert uh, which is honestly they have a Geiger counter and a wall of guns which is honestly a deus ex machina that more monster movies should take advantage of is the fact that there are literally people in this world who do have basements full of guns and pipe bombs <laughs> yes Oh my god, actually I have to, I'm sorry, I have to divert very briefly. There's a movie that I love uh, called You're Next. It's an Australian horror uh-huh. film. Uh, it's not It's not a monster movie. It's a home invasion oh, horror. Okay. But it centers around this woman be, uh, for the, meeting her boyfriend's wealthy family for the first time. And while she's there, a bunch of like people break into like, rob the house there's like some a lot of stuff i won't go into because there's some really fun twists and Uh turns in the plot but it's revealed she talks about her weird childhood a lot and it's revealed that she grew up on a doomsday prepper commune (gasps) and that that's and so she like spends the movie setting like home alone style traps and stuff it's so good actually really fun and wild oh it's so dope i i love your next but when you said that, it reminded me. I'm like, these are the only two movies I've ever seen make use of that. And it's such a good choice. And more movies should, because you're right. Like, as as wild as it feels like, it's weird. There are things that in movies we take for granted and, like, we accept that if we saw in real life, we would be like, no way, that's ridiculous. But subsequently, there are things in real life that we just accept. But if we saw it in a movie, for some reason, we'd think it was too weird. Mm-hmm. Which has actually caused me to get a lot better at suspending disbelief when I watch things because I have to remind myself of all the weird shit that happens in real life that if it happened like, on screen, like I would every be once like, in a while, something ridiculous. will happen in your real life that you'll be like, if I wrote this, I would get notes that this was too on the nose, like that this metaphor was heavy handed. Um, but exactly. yeah, so like, I mean, the fact that there are actual literal doomsday cults and preppers in this world and that like realistically, if somebody from that background found themselves in a situation like this, they would be totally fine. <laughs> like that is just, that's not something you're used to seeing in a movie. Something I did enjoy though, is that even though like they did have skills that helped them survive, Bert and Heather, like th- Bert was mourning the loss of their like super secure lockdown house as they left it behind because even with all of that, they still had to leave. Yeah. Like it. It still wasn't enough to save What was everything. enough was all of them coming together and working as a team and trusting each other. God, I love a movie where a small town comes together for the good of everyone involved. Oh, you know what I also really loved about Tremors? Was it how great the monster design was? Because the monster design was good. Oh, we'll circle back to that. But no, for me, it was that we skipped the really unnecessary stage of a lot of monster movies where like the expert tries to tell the town that there's a thing and all the town is like, there's not a oh, thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they were all just pretty immediately like, at first they thought it was like a snake and they thought it was a lot smaller, but they were pretty immediately like, there's a well, thing. Well, actually, what's so <laughs> beneficial about that actually um, is that the movie, I think, the pacing of Tremors is actually quite good. I know we sort of joked about like how long the movie felt like but that wasn't a shortcoming of the movie it wasn't like a sin the movie committed in making things feel very drawn out it was just that by the time you got to a certain point so many events had like checked off the monster movie checklist of like plot events that you just felt like you should be a lot further along a really good job i thought of keeping the action rolling so like the way that they managed to shortcut all of that is that they had the reveal of the monster come from like Val and Earl driving their truck back to the town, like, after some mysterious deaths had happened, and they thought they'd gotten it stuck, but when they pulled it back into town and, like, looked under the the 
like car frame, what they found was like one of these little worm guys like hooked onto the underside of the, the truck. And so everybody could pull it out and see right there. Like you didn't have this boy who cried wolf thing. You just had like, oh, we're holding yes. a literal monster worm. What are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then Alex, now oh, perfect segue to the monster oh, design so because good. then my favorite reveal of the movie, what they thought was the monster was just one of many of these little like tentacles that come out of the monster's mouth. And you pointed out, who was it? Was it, was it, was it Mr. Yeah, yeah, Chang yeah, yeah. who said that it looked like an eel? Um, he, Mr. Chang said it looked like an eel, which I then referenced, mentioned later that what it looked like was how some eels have like, I don't know what else to call it, a second mouth uh-huh. um, inside their mouth that like can stretch out on this sort of tentacle and like grab stuff to pull it yeah, into the so mouth. The, the, um, and that's so essentially- the worms. And what they the didn't worm really come up with a name for these things. They called them like a snakeoids or graboids or whatever. But even that was sort of an in-joke within the movie of just like stupid things they were trying to name this. Um, mm-hmm. But the actual monster, just the worms. monster itself is huge. Like probably, what, about 20 feet long? And yeah. maybe like... And they realize there yeah, are four of them. Yeah, and maybe like four them. feet in diameter. Um, so, and they're, they're big boys. But inside each one of these guys, like they're little... They have like multiple little snaky tentacle mouth tendrils that also have like teeth on mm-hmm. them. <laughs> and those are to pull you into yeah, the bigger mouth. It's it's such good monster design. So that was such a fun like late stage reveal of the thing we've mm-hmm. been thinking was already terrifying is actually only a part of this much bigger scenario. Um, but yeah, and then the reveal that it, there wasn't one of them, it, it, there were four of so them, good. like, that was awesome. So the movie really did a great job, I thought, with, like, pacing these plot reveals. It felt very much like I was watching a stereotypical monster movie that, like, again, hit all of, like, the tropes and the niches, and I could sit there and check them off and laugh and be like, okay, now I bet this is gonna happen, now I bet this is gonna happen. And I know that I'm kind of, like, infamous in our friend group for predicting plot events before they happen, because I just love movie formula so much. <sighs> But Tremors yeah. like was really fun. It sort of kept me on the edge of my seat a little bit. Like it was it it was playing with the tropes and conventions in a way that was very kind of like self-aware and it would like feed you enough of what you mm-hmm. expected to make you think like I don't have to think about what's coming next. I just sort of expect that like this is what the movie's going to do and then it would throw you a curveball and that was kind of fun. I I really enjoyed watching it. I really really did too. And I think uh something this is like where my genre nerd comes out a little bit, but I think something that uh, I really that can really make or break, like especially a monster movie, is like there's no other way to say this. It's not going to sound a little bit like ghoulish, but like are there interesting oh, yeah, kills? No, totally. Do you know what I mean in in a monster movie? And there was this incredible, there's this amazing sequence where they're all in the desert. They oh my god, sorry, I keep first they did an amazing fake out where. It was the moment where I pointed out to Alex that there were 25 oh, minutes yeah. left in the movie um, because they pile the town after a, lots of action and hijinks and near losses. They pile the remaining citizens of the town onto this like, what was it? What was it actually called? Oh, it's like a tank. But it's a cat. It's, it's not a, a tank. A, yeah, it's, but, a, it's a piece of construction equipment. It's like a, not a bulldozer, but. Got it. Um, it has treads so it can mm-hmm. go across the. And they needed something so heavy that the worm wouldn't be able to, mm-hmm. to pull it like it did the truck. Um, so, and as they're going, they see the worms doing all kinds of weird stuff off in the distance. And they're like, okay, as long as they stay away from us, only to reveal that the worms have been digging sinkholes in the, in the sand. And the cat like is plunged into the sand 
and that was because and that was a great a great turn but when they're all in the desert they're all perched on this rock trying not to have their vibrations be felt through the sand trying not to alert the worms and they have very limited supplies but what they do have thank you to birds yeah. are some pipe bombs and so they go fishing like earl said it's like fishing they go fishing for worms and they like use rocks small rocks to create vibrations in the sand draw the worms up and then have the pipe bomb on like a string and they mm-hmm. feed it to the worm, um, and then it blows up, and then it blows up because it ate a bomb, and it blows up because it ate a bomb, and all the people get spattered with orange guts and yeah, worm blood. Yeah, the practical blood. effects were ooh, so good. Ooh, that was so sick. It I really loved was it so excellent. much. And like the the people kills were really good too. Like the worm kills were good. The people kills were good, they and were. I have to admit that. Um, probably my favorite was oh my god, the car. Yeah, as horrible as it was to watch uh, the scene where the couple who is like finishing constructing their house, it's nighttime and they're like looking at their unfinished house and they're sort of sitting out like on what will be their lawn. And uh, there's this great, like I love foreshadowing in monster movie scripts, but there's this moment where they're like, well, what if we never finished the roof? And then we could look at the stars like this every night, which is all very sweet, except like you as a viewer know, they're never going to finish that roof. And so the husband he gets like pulled under and she's trying to save him and then she like runs and gets in the car and is freaking out like can't get it to go or turn and then like the sand starts sucking her under and the worm like sucks the car down into the sand so like she in the car is being pulled under but it's so good there's like in the chaos uh the radio gets turned on and it's just like this totally incongruous country music playing in the background and the next morning when Val and Earl show up, which there's nothing mm-hmm. there. They can't find the people they're looking for. <gasps> yes. And they're like, well, the car is gone. So clearly they just left. We don't have to freak out. But then they hear country music and they can't figure out where it's coming from. And it's so effective because as a viewer, like you learn to tune out music when you're watching scenes and not think of it as in the scene. And the sudden reveal that one, they're hearing the same music we're hearing. And two, the reason they're hearing it is because the car radio is still on under the sand is so good. And the light, yeah. the headlights it's, are still uh, on. The whole thing is awesome. By the way, that's one of my favorite movie tropes in the entire world. Soundtrack dissonance is one of my favorites. Um, I get so excited when it's used well in a film. It's it, I get so, so excited. Uh, another great example of it is probably uh, the use of tiptoe through the tulips in Insidious. That's great. Uh, the 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 music the song that always starts playing when the demon's about mm-hmm. to make an appearance in the movie Insidious is a, a record nice. of tiptoe through the tulips, and it is oh, and the first time it's kind of funny, and then it starts to become yeah, genuinely yeah. very upsetting uh, to hear. Um, there's also a very very upsetting scene in A Clockwork Orange where uh, Alex and his goons are like terrorizing a family and breaking their house apart while uh, Alex is singing "Singing in the Rain." Along with a record, uh, I keep sorry. I keep saying Alex. That's no, also I the noticed. name of the bad man in a clockwork <laughs> orange. But, but my point is, it's I'm adding this to my list of examples of soundtrack dissonance it's, that just like, really, really tickle really my fancy. I'm like, um, yeah. I have to say, overall, there were actually fewer deaths than I expected there to be. I know I kept saying into the chat like, this person's gonna bite it. This person's gonna bite it. Um, and they didn't, which I actually I really enjoyed. Um, I. Like, when I'm sitting down to watch a horror comedy, I sort of expect a certain amount of death, and I'm fine with it if it happens. But as, like, a writer and um, sometimes, you know, 
crafter of horror experiences. Um, I, I think that death is overplayed. I think that it's a really easy way to throw shock value into something. It can be kind of cheap. Um, and so I actually really respect a monster movie that makes me feel very invested and makes things feel very dangerous while still allowing a lot of the people to live. Like the majority of perfection got out of the town, which mm-hmm. was really cool. I definitely expected there to be like more of a mm-hmm. sense of loss at the end of it than there was. And it was kind of cool that like the town as a whole did get to leave. Like they didn't kill the little girl. They didn't kill the single mom. You know, they didn't make Bert like go into a suicide mission uh they hinted at it and then they like pulled back from that which i thought was really cool and actually another kind of lovely thing is they didn't actually end up really having to leave because once the monsters are gone they're gone and they were able to take everything down oh my god the last one the way he got the last one uh val does what you think is like a self-sacrifice and he lures one of them and essentially gets it to run through the side of a cliff as he says, one of my favorite lines of the movie, can you it's fly? Really it's really, really good. <laughs> but yeah, so the movie sort of toys at a lot of those monster uh. tropes that you expect are going to end up like resulting in, in deaths that, uh, that don't, which is nice. I mean, it's still a scary movie. It's still a very fun romp, but, um, it's but nice the stakes surprise. do feel high without having to invoke like a really high body count. Again, there are multiple deaths, and, and some of them are hard of to course. watch. But but to quote uh, one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, just this once, everybody lives. Yeah, they don't go for the they don't go for the easy kills, which is what I expected. I expected it to be mm-hmm. like you know they pick off the girl on the pogo stick, or they uh, oh yeah. you know they they snag Bert on the way out because he wants to go down in a blaze of glory and like yeah, and they didn't do any of that. They didn't kill Earl, and I thought they were gonna kill Earl, so I'm glad that they didn't do that. I can't believe they didn't kill Melvin, though. I know. I am actually still really mad they didn't kill the snot nose team. I, <laughs> I have to admit to you, I get, I get bloodthirsty when there's like an annoying teen, like like that kind of character in a monster in a horror movie. I'm just like, I get bloodthirsty. I'm like, when's it coming? When when there's like the there's always one character that they seem to make so deliberately unlikable so that you celebrate their death. And then this one they didn't they didn't give us the catharsis. And it seemed like they kept building up to it and then they didn't and I was like, oh come on. But I also never felt like he learned his lesson. He didn't learn his lesson. I don't think Melvin was scared enough by the worms. He never no, he never had to learn true loss. He never had to look fear in the eyes. Um, a cool fun thing about Tremors, which I actually also enjoyed, which I think is kind of a hallmark of this movie, is how much time was spent on rooftops. That was kind of cool. Like, yes. there was this neat kind of... It's very cool the way it plays with space. It's a very agoraphobic movie, um, which is cool. A lot of horror movies are very claustrophobic. So it was kind of very cool and different to see one that leaned so heavily into the opposite. Like, similarly, I think a lot of movies, we associate horror with being like, you know, afraid of the dark. Which is why Midsummer <laughs> got like such explosive reviews yes. because it totally played with the opposite. Like, what if you had to see everything? I think Tremors does a similar thing, yeah, where it inverts this idea and this expectation of like horror movies as being very claustrophobic and confined and like playing with this fear of of being trapped. And it totally like took it in the opposite direction where like there's nothing in Tremors that's scarier than a wide open space because you have no idea where that thing is. And the second you step out onto that desert floor, it could be anywhere and it could be right under you. Yes. It's also almost exclusively daylight horror in Tremors. That one sequence with the couple is at night, but the rest of it is not. The rest of it is broad daylight, wide open desert. You can see for miles and like 
you're so cognizant of how much open space is around you. And there is um, a portion of the movie they're all spent up on their rooftops because, again, the the way that the worms find you, they don't have eyes, they don't see anything. Um, they feel vibrations, they hear vibrations. So if you're on rocks, you're safe because they can't climb over the rocks, they can't burst up from underneath them, but they can like feel the vibrations while you're on them. Um, or if you're on a rooftop, then they can't, like, get to you because they can't just burst up underneath. Until they start, of course, figuring out how to, like, knock down foundations and, like, tear buildings inward. But for a while, you get all these great shots of everybody just, like, up on their rooftops in different spots around town. All sort of trying to, like, keep eyes on each other and figure out, like, mm-hmm. where these things are and where they're going to hit next. And, like, how can we communicate without drawing all this attention to ourselves? And, like, how can we keep everybody together and working as a team while we're all on these little islands of horror in the middle of this desert sea. Like, it's really cool. And also, um, I say this without a single, like, I say this without an ounce of irony. I genuinely do mean this. I think that if it had found more of its audience, I think Tremors should have done for the desert what Jaws did for the ocean. Yeah, apparently there are several sequels to Tremors. Now that I like to hear. I don't know if any of them are good, um, but I do know there are several. I, I actually I expected when we sat down, I was expecting to kind of hate watch Tremors and I definitely didn't. Like I, I feel like I'm saying a lot how much I enjoyed watching this film, but it's really because I'm like having to admit to myself, like I, I loved this little gem. Tremors is good. Put it on at a party. I would watch it with friends. Um, I, I didn't expect much going in either. I knew that it was kind of a cult classic and I knew I was like, giant worms, Kevin Bacon. That's all I really knew going in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew we talked about it when we did our Cryptic Keeper episode on the Mongolian death worm. Um, yes, because you really can't talk about giant worms in the desert and not talk about Tremors. Well, yeah, exactly. But if I have one critique of Tremors, I wish that the worms had had the electricity powers of the Mongolian death worm. If I had one critique of Tremors, is that Melvin would have bitten the dust, but also electricity would have Damn been a cool true. way for them to do that. Melvin probably should not have survived the film. The lack of electricity was cool, though, because they sort of... And here's another thing that I really liked. <laughs> I know right now we're just, like, pointing at things and saying, I liked that, but here's the thing I liked. What else is talking about movies? Yeah, but right. That? But here's another thing I liked, which is um, I really enjoyed, and we mentioned this too, there are two ways to do a monster movie that are effective, basically. Either one, you never explain the monster, or two, you give us insight into why the monster works the way that it does. And Tremors went for the latter. Yeah. Um, they sort of, like, they had an extended sequence in Tremors, which was very fun, which was, like, the three character, the three main characters um, sort of killing time while they were on this rock trying to wait out the initial worm attack, like, figuring out, you know, where to go from here. And they were just sort of, like, bullshitting about, like, what they figured the monster was or where it came from or why it was yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe it's an alien. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe it's an alien or maybe it's a this thing. Maybe it's that. Like, no, I think it, it's, maybe it's like a mutation. way older than, I think that the, the, the government made it to fight the Russians. Um, yeah, and then you had some moments of uh, Rhonda being like, listen, this is just speculation, like, I have no idea, but, you know, based on what I know, like, my assumption is that this thing predates the fossil record, like, obviously there's no way for us to be sure, but, like, here's some thoughts that I have, um, which is really cool. They they sort of explored a lot of why that worked, but my point being, the worm didn't have, like, crazy electric powers, it didn't spit poison, it didn't have... It was just a worm. It was just like a giant worm that believably could have existed. Like it looked like things you would see at the bottom of the ocean or like way back in the prehistoric mm-hmm. record. Like this thing looked like some blown up version of a very real thing that probably exists somewhere. And that made it freaky. 
Oh yeah, and using biology that is existent, like the the second like mouth inside mm-hmm. the mouth thing is that is real. There are animals that have that. Um, or uh, honestly, it looked a lot like a sea cucumber uh, from the back and from the front. It looked kind of like uh, types of like leeches. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. There are already animals like this. It was close enough to real that you're right. It like still it like resonated really well. The monster design was so and good. And the environment was very much a character, as it often is in horror movies. Not that it's not in other mm-hmm. movies, but I think in horror more than any other genre, you know, the atmosphere really plays a role in in what the the tone of the movie feels like. And it was a really cool mm-hmm. choice to sort of explore, you know, the middle American desert. Because you get a lot of horror that's like in the backwoods or the creepy mountain ranges or um, in urban mm-hmm. settings or like in an isolated cabin in the rain and again, like nighttime. To have one in just like the baking dry heat of the middle desert, like with just oceans of sand, mm-hmm. you're like, who knows what's under these rocks? We don't know. Could be a giant worm. Could be anything. Could be giant worms. Actually, speaking of that, I don't know too many others that do this, but uh, if, if 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 that sounds appealing to you, listener, um, there's a film, I don't think it's on Netflix, but it is on Amazon Prime streaming, and it is on Hulu, I believe, uh, and it's on Shudder, if you have Shudder. It's called Southbound. It's an anthology film. It's four different intersecting stories taking place along a stretch of desert highway. Oh, right on. And it's really good. I really liked Southbound a lot. Um... I won't talk too much about it because it, I don't want to spoil. They're, they're like four, they're four shorts essentially. So there's a like it would be easy to spoil it very fast. But um, if that's your thing, it's a lot more, it's a lot scarier than uh, something like Tremors. Tremors has like its campiness and its goofiness. But like if desert as a setting for horror interests you, Southbound is really excellent and I really liked it. So yeah, cool. I love the sound of that. And I also love anthology films. But that's another start. That's another topic. <laughs> Um, I agree, and I love when uh, genre films play with play with setting and play with convention and do something completely different. Like, for any of the things someone might critique about Tremors, like, oh, well, where did the worms come from? Oh, ba-da-ba-da, plot hole, oh, ba-da, okay, cinema sins. Um, yeah, right. For all of that, like, I can honestly say it's a movie I've never seen before, and I don't think I'll ever see again. Like, it's... It is a very different, like, it's, 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 it's brand new. It was, like, doing something new, and in an, in an age of remakes and rehashes, I'm, like, very, I'm very excited to see things doing new stuff and cool stuff yeah, and playing. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, having fun, my God. You watch Tremors and think, like, this is something groundbreaking, um, ironically enough, but... <laughs> but when you look at all the components of it, it really is doing something very original and very fun, which has not really been replicated since. Like, for something... She's doing what the other girls are doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, there are endless iterations on a classic slasher. There are endless iterations on, uh, you know, the idea of some, like, hillbilly horror in the woods, which I have my own feelings about, and that's for another day, but... You know, there there are, are tropes that show up that there are cult classic... There's only so many are, ways to do a haunted there house. There are, are cult classic films that occupy, like, these genres, but then there are a slew of imitators, and occasionally you get a movie that, like, does the thing in a new and different way and does it really, really well. Um, I don't really see, like, a whole wealth of giant worm desert movies. <laughs> like, even though Jaws was Jaws, and everybody knows that Jaws was Jaws, and, like, it is the one, um, we're still getting new shark movies all the time. 
And we're even getting movies that are kind of not sharks, but spiritual successors to Jaws. If, if you haven't seen uh, Crawl, which came out over the summer and is centered around an alligator. Oh, neat. Um, in a house that's being flooded during a hurricane in Florida. Oh it's actually really excellent and tense. It's literally a girl and her father are trapped in their house while a hurricane hits because she couldn't get her dad out in time and the basement of their and they become trapped in their flooded basement with a giant alligator wow and it sounds kind of crazy but it's also really scary that's awesome but it's essentially built like but it's built like a shark movie even though the mon- the creature is a gator yeah totally but what i'm saying is that even though is that even though jaws like is sort of if you had to name a single shark movie you would name jaws don't lie to yourself um, like that's the one we're still getting shark movies one that are kind of campy and ridiculous like there are a million asylum films that are about sharks of varying sizes but we're also still getting new movies like um you know the the meg like big high budget shark movies that are sort of trying to be like we're jaws but classy and high powered and slick and cinematic so like mm-hmm. once a movie defines a genre whether it's a cult classic or like an actual polished film that's meant to be like taken a bit more seriously by film critics not that jaws isn't a classic it is but i'm saying like no matter whether something is sort of in that like fun camp iconic horror like watch it with nostalgia goggles on kind of icon or whether it's like a slick you know shiny newer iconic film um that's a more high drama like you still see imitators What's interesting about Tremors oh, yeah. is that, like, it should have, by all rights, been that, but there's not really a field for that. And I think that Tremors did it well enough that other movies could have copied that formula. Mm-hmm. Where are the giant worms, Where are all Hollywood? the giant worms, Hollywood? Where are they? Stop hiding them from us. Where are you hiding them? We demand them. <laughs> Let those bad boys out. I will not leave my home until you give me worm cinema. <laughs> Uh, it's true. I would like to see more giant worm movies, and I honestly would like to just see more. I miss monster movies. The only recent one I can think of uh, is not the Stephanie Meyer book. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho's The Host is the only monster movie I can really think of in recent years. And it's great, but I would like more of them. Yeah, at one hundred Um yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I have any other points. I just got really excited. I really didn't expect to like the movie Tremors that Honestly, much. Honestly, I really, I really didn't either. I definitely fun. thought we were like going to pick something ridiculous because it had giant worms in it and because our brand is monsters and that we were going to get to like hate watching and then talk about how like much it made us laugh in schlocky, delighted glee. Um, but I actually really liked Tremors. I really liked the core cast. I also laughed at many points I did. Oh, Tremors, I had a gr- but it I was, was having not a blast. Like- it's, a, it's the kind of movie that I think... 10 years ago before I was willing to consider myself a horror fan, I still would have liked, you know what I mean? Like there was definitely a time Mm -hmm. in my life when I was like my early teenhood. Um, The stand is actually the movie that like flipped me onto the genre. Um, Before I watched the stand, I was about to say I was not a horror fan. Um, I actually like hated, or I would have told you that I hated like anything to do with like horror media. But I think that Tremors is a movie I still would have watched then and enjoyed because um, while it is horrifying, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, heart and spunk in it, and it feels like sort of a, a delightful adventure romp that is just also a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, say anything against the horror film. I'm, I'm not trying to say, like, the horror as a genre, because no, I, I, I am very much a, a horror fan. But um, I think that... It's a vast genre with a lot of variation. It, it certainly is. I but you. I think that it's a movie that would appeal to 
people who not are only horror fans. I think it would also appeal to a wider spectrum. I'm not saying you should sit down and watch it with your family because it is an R-rated film for good reason, <laughs> but it's got camp and heart in it. And it's like got this story of a small community banding together and it's got humor and it's got like this sort of high stakes adventure, like thriller. It's very cool. It's, it's a neat little... It's a neat little gem of a thing. It's a little diamond in the rough there. Um, and it's a perfect film for the moment because I think really, one, keeping yourself in a group of no more than 10 people and also spending a lot of time on your rooftop shouting at your neighbors about what they're doing is a very good way to to ride out this currency. <laughs> oh my God, it's so it's timely. timely. Tremors predicted this. It's so timely. Uh, yeah, so Tremors is, you heard it here first, folks, 1990s Tremors is the movie of the moment. <laughs> the most relevant piece of cinema you will see for quite some time. Um, and not just because the film industry has ground to a halt. Oh, ouch. That was me mourning my internship. But you know what's not grinding to a halt is uh, Netflix and Kill. Gonna be back at you every single week uh, from now until probably forever. And that's a commitment that I'm making on behalf of other people. Because as you have no doubt figured out by now, we are not the usual hosts of this show. And I hope that this is not your first time listening to it. Um, we are coming to you here on behalf of the Lunar Light Studios uh, Galactic Warp for April Fool's Day. Um, normally, Addison and I host a show called The Cryptid Keeper, which is also on this network where we talk about um, monsters and mythology and folklore and cryptozoology and all of its many uh, nebulously defined branches. <laughs> so um, we are really, really grateful to be here this week. We had an awesome time watching Tremors, and we had a really great time talking about it. We love uh, we love horror movies, obviously, and we especially love ones that um, make us giggle furiously whilst typing in a chat to each other across social distancing. So, mm -hmm. yum yum yum! Give me genre films, mm, delicious. Tasty, tasty. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so thank you for having us as we are guests currently. Your regular hosts will be back with you soon. We've been keeping the microphones warm for him. <laughs> yeah, we're really doing our best over here uh, to, to hold down the fort while they're off doing someone else's show. So um, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope that yeah. maybe if you had a good time with us this week, you'll take the time to check out our feed. Um, but, you know, more than anything, I actually hope that you sit down and watch Tremors because I just want to go tell the world about it now. Watch Tremors. Stan Tremors. Tremors. We're starting um, the first and only official Tremors fan club. We'll be having Tremors Con in 2023. Great Tremors Hive. Uh, in San Dimas. <laughs> Tremors Hive assemble. <laughs> Rise up, Tremors Hive. <laughs> I don't know how to end this. I just said the weirdest thing I've got. I'm going to say, say it again. a long time. Then we'll if you say it again, then people believe it was on purpose. <laughs> Rise up, Tremors Hive. <laughs>